This is Sober Company, a podcast about modern sobriety. My name is Lacey. My name's Nick. And today we are lucky enough to have on Dave from the Dopey Podcast. Can you believe it? Yeah, I don't it? know how you got like Dave from the Dopey Podcast to come on our podcast. Yeah, I don't know either. <laughs> you, I, you do know because you're the one that did it. Yeah, so I, Dopey has like awesome merch and I, you know, I'm... I wouldn't call myself a member of the Dopey Nation, but I'm a fan and I also like their merch and I like following what Dave is up to. And uh, we have a very good friend named Jen, who is definitely part of the Dopey podcast or Dopey uh, Nation. And she, I bought her a t-shirt because I miss her. What was a t-shirt? It's um, a tank top. So there's this, like, so Dopey has, like, about one million inside jokes from, like, the little, the drug stories they tell on the show. And one of them is about Dave, you know, an active addiction, getting a job, going to kids' children's parties, dress up as different characters. And this one time he dressed up as, he had to dress up as Big Bird. And, uh, but he oh, didn't realize, he didn't okay, have, all right. yeah, he didn't have the tights for the outfit. So he comes to the birthday party like hours late, you know, high out of his mind and like these hairy man legs sticking out under a big bird costume. Anyway, so the T-shirt is a big bird with hairy legs smoking and the cigarette smoke like is in script and says dopey and it's a cool shirt. So yeah, I, I saw the, the shirt when you posted on Instagram. I just yeah. thought it was big bird and a dopey thing. Yeah. I, I'm also not a part of the dopey nation, so I didn't get that. But, right. Um, that's kind of funny that it's an inside joke. Yes, everything is a fucking inside joke. But so I, I got one for Jen, and then I got one for me, and I posted it on Instagram on our sober company account. For yeah, and anyway, he saw it and appreciated it, and that got the conversation rolling. And then Jen was like, you, "Dude, you need to ask him to be on the podcast." And uh, I was like, "Oh, what? oh, he? You think he would say yes?" She's like, yeah, why not? So anyway, he did say yes because he's a giving person and generous and a supportive member of the recovery community, even though he doesn't, I don't know if he likes being identified as part of the recovery community per se, but yeah. But it's kind of funny because he was talking about, because he has like major celebrities on his podcast. Yeah. And he was saying like yeah. he does the same thing where he has to like just randomly like DM people yes. to see if they come on the podcast. So yeah, I've, yeah, it's kind of like good karma for him totally, um, totally. to do that because I think he really like understood what kind of situation you were in when you were asking him. <laughs> it probably gave him a laugh, you know? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So what do you think? Do you think we should give some context for the people who haven't heard Dopey before? Yeah, I think it'd be good because it's like a crazy story yeah. of how it got started. Yeah, yeah. All right, so... Dave and Chris, Chris was Dave's co-host. They met at the Mountainside Rehab and they started this podcast in 2016 uh, because Chris had a bunch of fucking insane drug stories and Dave did too. I mean, we've heard mostly Chris's, but anyway, Dave saw the comedic value of those drug stories and decided that they could create a podcast from it. And they got really popular pretty quickly. I mean, in my opinion, at least. No, for sure. Because it's totally different than anything that's out there. Yeah. Because they just focus on like the dumb shit aspect of it. Right. It's like a bunch and of these, like, like things. It's like things you never heard people talk about before. The creativity involved in drugs, yeah. drug use. Yeah. Yeah. At least like in a podcast format, you never heard anything like that. You know? Right. Outside of meetings or rehab or whatever. Yeah. 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 So 
the story takes a very tragic turn because two and a half years after doing the podcast, Dave's co-host Chris ended up overdosing and dying. And that happened right after uh, one of their other podcast regulars, Todd, and also Dave's childhood best friends also died of an overdose. So it, you know, it's a very sad story. And I think it got a lot of attention because of it. It was, you know, Dobie's now been featured to this American life and, you know, different story like Hollywood reporter. And, you know, it's, it's been talked about, especially now they get all these celebrities and stuff. So, yeah. yeah and it's so like real. Yes. It's like, it's we talked real. like even with like Stephanie last week talking, just being in recovery communities, you're going to run into people who pass away Yeah, and for them to have documented like years of this material and for it to happen during the course of that. And for Dave to just keep going keep on going. after that, yeah, you know, uh, it's like quite an incredible story. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, I don't know, in one of the interviews I was listening with, with Dave or whatever, uh, someone pointed out that his continuing the podcast after Chris died was kind of, showing his listeners how to keep going in life, like, like in recovery, Mm. like keep, you know, like when something terrible, terrible happens, how to, you know, kind of just keep going with it, keep going in your life and your recovery. He modeled that by keeping the show going. So, yeah, I, you know, I think it was a big deal for us to be able to talk to Dave uh, because he's kind of the king in the lands in this land. (laughs) A recovery podcast, though he doesn't necessarily identify as being a recovery podcast. But yeah. All right. We hope you enjoy our conversation with Dave from Dopey. I mean, not every guest is going to be as easy as I am. Right, of course. I don't, you know, I'm very easy. You're natural. Wow. I've done this for a long time now. I know. As funny as that is. 2016. Well, the beauty of, of what we always did was it was supposed to suck. Right. It did not have to be good. Right. You know, you know, I, I, when I started listening to you and just like full disclosure, Nick and I found out about you, about Dopey, because we have three members of the Dopey Nation within our uh, recovery community. And I'm going to name check them because I think us saying their names to you will make them happy. Cool. So that's James, Jen and Brian. Shout out to them. James. James, Jen, and Brian. Yes, and I think yeah. they actually met you at DopeyCon, but okay. And, and you read awesome. one of Jen's, you read a Jen email on air. What's her last name? It's. Yeah, I know her. Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I when I listened to your f- first episodes, at least you reminded me of the guys that I had crushes on in high school that I was totally intimidated by, that right. I always had to <laughs> be like very nonchalant about around you know like I couldn't I had to be nothing really amused me too much or nothing was like that impressive to me you know that that kind of I think it's like a a Gen X kind of vibe you know I'm with you do you agree with that well you're saying that's what I put out no I think put out in relation to that that sort of vibe I think that's the, that was the vibe that I was getting from Dopey. Was well, yeah. That's like the the goal is to is to be perceived as nonchalant, right? And like you you try to to present, or I always tried to present as nonchalant 
um, because you want it, I want it to be cool. You know what I mean? Like yeah. I want it to be cool. But then, you know, like if you get into something, you realize you can't hold the nonchalant long enough. Yeah. You can only hold it so long. And then you wind up coming out with like ridiculous idiosyncratic opinions. And you like, I, I mean, like I, the way I grew up, I grew up in Manhattan and mm-hmm. like uh, I grew up in this super, uh, I went to this super nerdy school from when I was four. Can you tell? When I graduated high school, was it in this? Was it in Manhattan? The school? Yeah. yeah, Okay. It was on the Upper East Side. Okay. And um, you had to take a test to get in. Uh huh. And I got into the elementary school, and and it was Hunter. I don't care. It was Hunter. Hunter. Yeah. And you're from Manhattan? No, I'm from um, upstate New York, but my my father is from the Bronx. So. Okay. It's and you're in the Bronx now. I'm in the Bronx now. Correct. Yep. Uh So like. The idea was you knew what cool was, or at least I did. I knew, what, even though we were all big nerds, I knew what cool was. And I wanted to be as cool as I could, yeah. even though my DNA, like, kind of didn't want me to be. You know what I mean? Like, because I was brought up, you know, super middle class Jewish nerdy guy. Yeah. So you kind of try to be that way. But it's hard to hold that shit together. <laughs> so this is the 80s in New York, 80s, 90s? Uh, yeah, I mean, like, I'm 45. Oh, okay, all so right. I graduated high school in 92. Okay. So, yeah, yeah, 80s, 90s. So, were you seeing a lot of drug use on the streets at that point? Did you know what it was? I didn't. I, I was, like, very, very straight. I didn't do anything, really. I, uh, I, like, drank for the first time when I was a waiter in a summer camp. And I drank, like, the first time I drank, I drank, like, 20 screwdrivers. Oh, God. And, uh, and I blacked out, and I almost died. Oh. And then, I, and oh, then I, like, then I would, like, drink before uh, dances in high school, right. in junior high school. And I would always, like, get really sick. And I kind of learned that uh, my body and alcohol, like, alcoholics say they're allergic to alcohol. Right. You know, like, that sort of other allergy. I think I was actually allergic to alcohol. Like when I would drink, I would get really sick and it would make me really uncomfortable. So, so I kind, kind of, of a blessing. Drink. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, totally. And and then when, as soon as I found, I kind of found pot in high school, but still I didn't want to go all out. Yeah. You know, I had this group of friends that weren't like, you know, stoners and I hung out with them like from, you know, basically they're still like my best friends. Mm-hmm. And they weren't addicts or stoners or anything. So when I guess it wasn't until I went to college and in college, I felt very isolated and very alone and very like not safe. Mm. And that's when I had the reaction to drugs that a classic sort of addict reaction, which is like, this makes my life easier. I can do this and be comfortable in my own skin uh, I can do this every day and always be comfortable in my skin. And that's where my addict kind of was born. What made you feel not safe at school? Not safe or that safe? No, like what What was triggering you to feel like you needed to reach for something to feel I, more comfortable? Well, I, like I said, I went to this nerdy school my whole life. And I went to Ithaca mm. to study. I went to Ithaca College to study television. Mm-hmm. Uh, to make TV and uh, Ithaca College was pretty like 
classic American college, you know, football players and hippies and alternative kids. And, and I was none of those things, you know, I was totally not any of those things. Like my best friend at college was this, uh, dude from Pennsylvania. And when he, and he thought the the Jews killed Christ and he thought I was going to go to hell because I was Jewish and he was my best friend, (laughs) you know? And when I found that out, I was like, Oh my God, you know, it was just so scary to not have anybody because my whole life I had been surrounded by the same core kind of group of friends. And like those friends had probably insulated me from my inner addict or whatever. And once I was not with them, I felt very scared and alone. Yeah. Nick and I talk about that a lot about how there's that phrase that's said over and over again. What is it like the opposite of addiction is connection. But, um, I do Do you know where that comes from? Where does that come from? I think, I don't know. I think some dude said it like fairly recently. Right. Okay. We went to a, the New York state recovery conference. It's like what we do for fun. And nice. yeah. And it was like on a big banner for a rehab and staring at us all day. So I don't know, but well, okay. there's like, um, the book, uh, that I, it was not about addiction. It was about depression called lost connection. And he says that about like depression too. But I mean, for me, like depression, addiction, they like, go very well together so i think that guy uh johan hari he right. talks about it in that book maybe it's um, him but so when you when you say your your inner addict like was like kind of hid by your your friends growing up you know like your community does that so you are you do you believe that like you were born with this thing inside of you no i mean i don't have any kind of definitive definition yeah. I just know that like once I start doing something, it's really hard for me to stop. And once I, I like, I mean, at this point, like at this point I'm sober because I'm not willing to rock the boat. You know, I yeah. lost, I lost like most of my life to this thing. And if I fucked up now, it would just like, I have a family. I've got two kids it would like destroy their lives. And I just can't, I've messed up too many things to like experiment now and be like, can I handle a bong hit or whatever? Like my life is too good. I I just have a feeling that if I put something inside of me, I will not be able to stop easily. Right. And I I don't want that. Not to mention, I really enjoy my recovery, but I I love doing drugs. Yeah. I really loved it. I mean, is that still like something that comes up cravings? No, I don't, I don't have any cravings, but it's more like a rationale. Like, cause I used, I did like, I, I miss, I don't have cravings to smoke weed, but I do have a sort of ide ideological remembrance of it. Like a euphoric recall of Mm. that where I, I miss like getting stoned and listening to reggae music and, Mm -hmm. and, and thinking that I'm chill. You know what I mean? That that feeling I miss. I miss I miss all of the I like how weed smelled. I liked how it tasted. I liked all that stuff. I like being a stoner. I yeah. loved not caring. You know, I loved all those things. Like but, a romanticism. Um, yeah. Well, it really it really fit my brain chemistry. Mm-hmm. And then um but then opiates fit it even better 
Mm-hmm. And, and, and then like weed, opiates and benzos fit it the best. Mm-hmm. So like, I'm not, it's like, I remember I went to, uh, I went to a rehab when I was like 28 or something or 27 and they made me write a letter to my drug of choice or something, right, you know, right. and, I, and I wrote a letter to weed saying like, like referring it to as like my virginal girlfriend mm. and this slut heroin ruined this relationship that I could never have again, which was like a joke, but it was <laughs> sort of true. Also, yeah. you know? So, I mean, like, I think the, the inner addict in me, I don't know that I was born with it or not, but I do know that it exists and I, and I, it, it came of age, you know? Yeah. Yeah. When you were saying you, who did you look up to? Like, who was cool to you growing up? Who did you want to emulate? Um, well, I mean, I had sort of like heroes in my head of who I wanted to be like. Um, like not like local, like not like kids in my high school. Right, you mean, right, like, right. Like, like, Anybody. Um, I love the Beastie Boys. Yeah. You know, the, the second I could emulate anybody, I wanted to be like them. I love, there was this guy, my mother would listen to AM radio every morning before we'd go to school. And she would listen to uh, this guy called John Gambling. And he was on 1010 Wins. Yeah. He had a show called Rambling with Gambling. And, uh, and I just remember being like 11 or something in the kitchen with her and listening to this guy and being like, this dude seems so relaxed. And, and they all seem to be having such a nice time just hanging out, talking about whatever. And I was like, I like that idea for a job. Like, I remember <laughs> that. And then I, and then I kind of like, when I saw Regis Philbin, you know, he's a talk show Another host. Another good uh, New Yorker. Yeah. Yeah. He, and he was just so good. You know, he, he would make fun of Kathy Lee. Mm-hmm. He made everybody feel comfortable. He had stupid jokes, but he was very warm and very likable. I loved him. And then I sort of just got into music and I loved, uh, I loved the Beatles. Obviously I like worship John Lennon mm-hmm. and, um, and then I just kind of like loved beat poets and shit, yeah. all that stuff, you know, and, and I loved abstract expressionists and I love, I, I studied art history when I, after I became a stoner, I stopped studying TV <laughs> and I started studying art history and I got really into all that shit. Like the, like the idea of Mondrian and then, fucking uh marcel duchamp and all that stuff and uh-huh. Henri cartier brisson and i became like a sort of like pseudo intellectual and i loved thinking that i was smart and getting high and reading their ideas and being like that's what i want to be like uh-huh. you know yeah and then i discovered howard stern off after all that and i was like howard stern is it and that that was kind of the way it <laughs> capped it off yeah, what do you think about this whole, because, you know, abstract expressionism and the beats and there's a lot of that suffering that goes along, you know, it's the suffering artist and also addiction goes along with that. What are your, uh, what are your thoughts on that? Well, I mean, it's like, it was cool. I mean, the first thing that really hit me, like what was cool, like I said, was the Beastie Boys, but that was very attainable cool. That was New York City cool. Mm -hmm. And then kind of after that was the Beatles and the Beatles had such an impact on me like just a crazy impact on me. And, uh, and it was so easy to find everything out about them because they were so big Mm -hmm. and there was so much stuff and so much, um, subculture and sub stories. And, and it was all drugs, 
You know, there was yeah. drugs in, at every turn of the Beatles. And um, I think that's where I, I got into it in the first place. And I think when you hear about the Beatles in Hamburg and you hear about that Astrid, whatever her last name is, that gave them the haircuts and took the first press pictures. And she was this bohemian mm. and she was this beatnik that they emulated. It's like, that's when you can make that jump to drugs are cool. Cool people yeah. take drugs and, uh, and cool people take drugs to disconnect from their neurotic thoughts. And that's totally what happened for me. I wanted to be cool. I mean, that's basically how I became a stoner. I was studying I, I was a pseudo intellectual studying for a cultural anthropology mm. exam with a dude I met named Zev, who was a, a jazz guitar major. <laughs> and I was like, this is it. You know, I've done it. I, I've, I've become the top of the mountain. The, exactly. Yeah. And, and, I, and we and we we got stoned before a test. And I was like, now I'm going to stay stoned, basically. Yeah. And, and I stayed stoned for like 20 years, basically 20, 23 years. I smoked pot every day, like incessantly, unless I was in treatment. Like there was not a day. And of course, you know, I also became a heroin addict and mm-hmm. a pill popper and everything else. Um, but it was all because it was very, very much that beat influence, that mm-hmm. artist influence. Like you go from the Beatles. I mean, John Lennon was a heroin addict. And, and you go from all that to Burroughs and it's, right. and I remember I was right. working in TV reading junkie and I was like flying around as a production assistant reading junkie. And I was like, I could handle this, like thinking I could handle it. Yeah. You know, yeah. even though I, I was a middle-class Jewish kid from, you know, public housing who, who any sort of smidgen of intelligence would have let me know that John Lennon, who was a millionaire, couldn't handle it. And Miles Davis, who was a millionaire, couldn't handle it. And I was making very little money. And I was like, I could figure this out. I, it was just such stupidity. <laughs> it was a dream. Yeah. Yeah. I was into the beats, too, as a, as a high school kid. Who did kid. you like? I was, like, in love with Kerouac, of course. I mean, he was pretty, yeah. you know, he was a dreamboat. And, you know, and I, that was my first introduction of Buddhism too. And then I thought it was going to be this cool hippie dippy thing. And then I, I read life is suffering. I was like, fuck that. Like I want this to be enjoyable. But that really read the life is suffering as a self-hating Jew. It was like, that's what I was taught my whole life is that every, like there was no life without complaining. There was no like suffering. Like it really made a lot of sense to me. Kerouac, like, I think I'm not the best reader. Like I read on the road. I mean, I it's a it. hard, it's not the, it's going back to that book is a little like, I kind of rolled my eyes a bit, but yeah. But when I was a kid, it was amazing. Yeah. And then the book, my favorite beat book wasn't even the beat book. My favorite, I mean, that's like how separated I was from the actual art, mm. you know, from the actual poetry, from the good <laughs> stuff. Like I was too TV. I was too, I was totally steeped in pop culture and, and plastic. You know what I mean? It's just yeah. like, that's, that, I, that's where I came from. I was like raised by the television. Yeah. Um, my favorite was, was like Tom Wolfe, the electric Kool-Aid acid. Mm. When I read that book, I was like, holy shit. And we started taking acid every day and started a band. <laughs> and like, I was like, I want to be like them, you know? Um, but it was all rolled into one because they wanted to be like the beats. Right. You know, right. You know, right. And Neil Cassidy is like one of the main yeah. characters in the electric Kool-Aid acid test. So I was like, this is close enough. I, I like struggled. 
I struggled with like the Dharma bums. I struggled with with Ginsburg. I loved and I, I struggled with I struggled with every book except for On the Road and Junkie. Those were the two beat books that really did it for me. Uh-huh. But then also where I went to school, the the photography professor was the filmmaker who made the movie Pull My Daisy. Oh really? And I was just like I felt like I was right there. Yeah, you know, no just kidding. Like walking walking in the shadows of all this stuff. In my mind at least. You were being welcomed into it. You know, like it was like the laying out the stepping stones. Yeah, it yeah. felt like that. And I felt lucky, mm-hmm. you know, and I felt like, you know, it's all that I have arrived stuff mm-hmm. where like it's like you think your life is going one way, but it's going the other way. <laughs> yeah, I think Nick can relate to some of that. Yeah, no, for sure. Like the, uh, I was really big into music as well. And like uh, when you're talking about the Beatles too, it's like you can see the shift in the Beatles, like Revolver. You hear that and you're like, oh shit, these guys are like taking drugs now. And you see the evolution of that. And so that whole idea of creativity and being able to like unlock these like other realms that like you couldn't access like on a normal basis was really intriguing to me. And I almost thought like for a long time, I couldn't be creative if I wasn't using. No, just that you couldn't possibly create at that cool level. Like, like, uh, like whatever, like Beatles for sale isn't as cool as tomorrow never knows. Yeah. You know what I mean, like, although it, it's great, you know, it's just like, I, it was that unpredictability coupled with the talent that made it like, holy shit, I could never be that cool if I was sober. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I really relate with that a lot. And uh, yeah, you play music. I did play. Yeah, I did play music. I mean, you um, still you played uh, one of your I wormhole still play, recently. But like for a long time, actually, when I when I first came sober, I didn't play music at all because I was just like almost afraid to do it because I was right. just like I can't fucking do it, you know. And it would almost lead me to like relapse and be like, dude, I got to smoke a joint or like drink something in order to like get in the zone of doing that, you know. Sure. Dave, do you but play you music played in, now? in bands too, right? No, I loved I loved playing in bands. Yeah. And I loved and I loved get and I was always never that good, but I always loved getting out of my head. I mean, that's what we're really talking about. It was yeah. like I I took drugs to escape myself and I took drugs to shut my brain off, right. you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, and I took drugs because the voice inside me like said I suck mm-hmm. and said and was just too, cri- and the voice inside of me is still so critical. But mm. when I took drugs, there it was nothing. You know, there was no voice. There was just, yeah, that feels good. Mm-hmm. Or, oh, yeah, man, whatever. You know, just like the, alt- the, the thing I had wanted, which was like to not care. Like, naturally, I wake up at fucking six in the morning every day. Mm-hmm. And in college or whatever, everyone's sleeping late. And I'm waking up at fucking six in the morning, like my brain just going, 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 going. Mm. And all I wanted to do is like not care like everybody else. Right. Right. You know? Yeah. And I, I struggle with that now. I mean, like, I think, you know, we're in this coronavirus thing and like, I, it's, you know, that's part of my life is, you know, waking up at six or seven in the morning and being like, okay, what am I, like, I, what am I going to accomplish? What am I going to do? What am I going to, you know? And I think, I can kind of embrace that to a certain extent now. Um, you know, it's always, it's like what I have. <laughs> like, 
that's what propels me as opposed to numbing myself out all day. Right. I mean, yeah, I mean, I don't know if, if I, I mean, the consequences for me, like, it's fun to talk about the Beatles and mm-hmm. Bud and, you know, the beats and all that stuff. And it was incredibly like, like, uh, like my friend, Chris, who I started dopey with, right. he was not affected by drug culture mm. or art or any of that stuff mm. at all. Like his story was, he heard about drugs and he wanted to do them. So he would get as many as he could and get as fucked up as he could. Like right. I could talk about like, he didn't know the difference between like Prince and queen. Like mm. he didn't know, he didn't know fucking anything about like he could name the four Beatles begrudgingly, but he couldn't, <laughs> he couldn't like, it's just interesting because for me, that drug culture, that romantic yeah. thing was very much, like what opened up the door. It's just like, I'm still into all that stuff. You know, I still listen to all that music and I listen to other music that like, I remember when I, when I found the velvet underground, I was just like, this is what I want everything to sound like. Mm-hmm. And I want to feel like it sounds. And I mean, like when you talk about nonchalant cool or whatever, right. I mean, that's what it was. That was the ultimate musical version of that. That's yeah. what I wanted to sound like. Not giving a fuck. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So this, I, in your Patreon episode, the most recent one, you talk about, well, you meant when you mentioned the Beastie Boys, what reminded me of it, you're like, the thing about them is that they're, they're super authentic, right? And that's, and that, that's what you're trying to do with the podcast or like, that's what the podcast is a vehicle for is authenticity. Is that, is that correct? Yeah, definitely. I mean, the Beastie Boys, uh, are so inspirational because they're all in. Right. You know what I mean? The second they get in, I mean, I didn't really know it from listening to them. You know, I, I kind of like would veer away from them and come back to them. Like, but when, um, but I knew that their vibe, like I loved, I love, like I, for me, the Beastie Boys, what I liked, I like License to Ill mm-hmm. and I loved uh, Check Your Head. Mm-hmm. Paul, I didn't care that much Paul's about Paul's Boutique. Boutique or Ill Communication or Hello Nasty or whatever. Mm. But those two records really spoke to me and um, just their style and the fact, and I loved reading about them. Mm -hmm. Like Mike D started a record label, Mm -hmm. but before they started the record label, they started a magazine and they just, they invented every aspect of their culture. And I was like, I love how they do that. And, and, and also like all of their influences are in all of their songs. Like they talk about everything they like. And they're willing to admit, like, what's scrubby about them and, like, where they come from. And, like, I mean, Dopey is, like, the Beastie Boys is a huge influence on it. Mm-hmm. The ultimate influence on Dopey, though, is Howard Stern. Yeah. Is the Howard Stern show. Because he did that, too. And he wasn't nearly as cool as the Beastie Boys. But he was really honest and really, really capable of, of communicating with his crew like mm-hmm. his team mm-hmm. and with the audience to the point where you felt like you were with him. Right. And I know that Howard, like Howard's gross, you know, like Howard's like super gross. If you, and if you don't listen to him, you have a perception of him as like this disgusting misogynist. Oh yeah. Kind of idiot. I, c- I could never listen. Like I now want to listen to him and I'm trying to figure out how the fuck to listen to him because 
I can kind of like get past certain things. But as like when he was, when you could actually just like listen to him on the radio, I was like, no, fuck that misogynist pig. Like I'm never gonna, you know. I was the same way. I I got a job like as a production assistant and uh, I I worked for this crazy stoner to the point where he'd have like 20 joints in the van. Um, And he would, I would have to get up in the morning and go get his van and go pick him up. And, uh, and he would listen to Howard, uh, a Christian following Jesus. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I was like, uh, you know, I never had any interest in listening to Howard Stern, but I don't know. I think probably after the first day I was hooked. Yeah. And it was like, I, I'm not into that. Like I'm not into any of the misogyny. I was just into the way Howard talked yeah. and what he did with the guys in the studio, forgetting about all the gross stuff he did. What he did is he made you feel like they were his friends and you were with them. And it was just this technique he had. It was just, you know, that's just his thing. And that's what I was trying to do with our show. Like right. I knew Chris. Chris had the best stories. He had amazing drug stories. But I knew that, the, or I, I had a, my theory was that if we could create a vibe like the Stern Show vibe, yeah. that people would uh, respond to it. And yeah, they responded to his stories, but they responded more to like me making fun of Chris and Chris making fun of me. Right, right, right. <laughs> when you guys were like making the show, though, like, did you have like this idea of like this audience in mind? Like, did you think you were speaking to people or was it more like you and Chris were just doing it for yourselves? No, I mean, I thought we were like, I, what I was doing was when I was a little kid, me and my friend would sit next to a tape recorder and do a show you know what i mean like like it was like a play show and that's what dopey was Mm. dopey dopey is almost still like that in a way i mean like when me and chris did it like chris would tell his stories and pretend he he was like an addiction expert and i would pretend i was a talk show host and we had a talk show and uh and we weren't really i mean there are times i'll go back and i'll listen to it and it sounds like chris is actually talking to an audience which is Mm. great yeah. Um, I don't, I don't think it was that, like it would, it made me feel safe not to think there was an audience. Mm. Yes. We, we bump up against that ourselves. What do you as mean? You can imagine. Well, we don't have to worry about that because nobody listens to this. I said that on every episode, you know, nobody's listening. Don't worry. Who cares? And it's weird. Like that people listen, isn't it weird? Like you just, it's weird. Someone came up to me at work like a random editor because I'm in media uh, and was like, Oh, I, but it also makes these connections. Like it's weird that they're talking to me about it in my work where I don't have that persona, you know? And, uh, but then it's cool because they're talking to me about their mom who just got 10 years and like, you know, it builds that connection that would otherwise not have happened. You know, we were both in our separate universes of not knowing each other. So how did they know about your show? So I magically, in those like, you know, um, one of those cool moments that happens in recovery and sobriety, I, I became friends with someone at work because we had a mutual friend that just departed and was like, you two, and he, this guy had just started there. And he was like, you guys should talk, but he didn't tell us anything. He was just like, I'm leaving. Here's a new friend for you <laughs> that's starting at the same office. And 
so we started having lunch every day and I was like kind of nervous about, I don't know, outing myself, I guess, just because I'm not used right. to doing it at work. And I did. And as soon as I did, he was like, oh, I, I just got one year sober, you know, like one of those. It happens every once in a while. Um, yeah. Yeah. Wait. So, oh, and so he's he's come on the show and then he tweeted about it. And then now it's like out. So yeah. then everyone at work knows. Right, yeah, or they right, could. Right. Yeah, 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 yeah. Which is good. I mean, I don't, I, yeah, this is a good, this is a good segue because we'd love to talk to you about like anonymity and what your thoughts are on that. Because I know you're Dave, but it's pretty easy to find out who you are. And I know you talk about this a lot, but what are your thoughts in general about anonymity and recovery and, you know? Um, I, You know, I don't know. I, I feel like, I feel like a lot of my thoughts on a lot of things are, I don't know. Yeah. So, so I just kind of like, is that wind really bad? That's not that bad. I'm walking in this very picturesque, like on the, on the side of our town, it's like these canals, like with boats and right on the bay. So it's like all these like boats and the wind is kicking up and shit. Um, You know, I have no, like with our anonymity, we did it because I didn't realize that Dopey was going to be anything. Yeah. And, and I didn't realize that it would be, I, what I really didn't realize was that it was going to be anything good. And when I say that, I mean, like, I didn't think we were going to be a force of good in the universe. Mm. I thought we were going to be like a show about great drug stories and fun and like laughing at each other. Like, that's what I thought Dopey was going to be. So like, my first, yeah, my first thought was I don't want, my last name on it because I don't want my daughter's friends to Google right. our last name and just see heroin, 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 heroin. Right, right. But then, and then Chris was like, well, I don't want my last name on it because I'm going to be a PhD and they're not going to let me, like, they're, I'm not going to be able to get my license if they hear the ridiculous things I used to do. And, right, I, was like, right. and I was always like, that doesn't really make any sense. They're not, that's not going to happen. And, but I think the truth is, we both felt safer. Right. Um, I know for me, like I went to that high school. I think that's the first time I ever said that publicly because it's like this very fancy high school and all of the people that I went to school with uh, are all like doctors and mm. lawyers and like, you know, like professional people. And like, I just never really wanted to out myself. I just didn't really want to, mm-hmm. you know? And, and then, so I never talked about Dopey publicly and, um, but I would try to get people, I would like promote it like within Dopey channels where Chris would tell everybody he knew to listen, mm-hmm. but he never would promote it publicly. I mean, I think, and, and I know that my, my first sponsor in, in, uh, AA mm-hmm. was like, he was like, do not, uh, out yourself. Mm-hmm. He's like, if you out yourself. And you do anything, you're an example of the program. Mm-hmm. And right, you right, don't right. want to be a bad right. example of the program. Mm. And Lord knows you're not going to be a perfect example of the program. <laughs> and he was right. Um, but then I have a lot of friends who are, uh, you know, friends who I've made through Dopey mm-hmm. who are publicly in recovery, mm-hmm. who are figures in recovery. You know, like Bob Forrest mm-hmm. or Amy Dresner, all these kinds of people who are very, or Danny O'Connor, you know, just mm-hmm. these people who are like very much about 
I'm this person and I'm in recovery. And like, I don't, I don't know. I know that I like, I love the romance of not putting my last name mm. on it. Like I love the, it's like, it, it's like it's I pretend intrigue. we were super, like we're superheroes. Yeah. Like we have secret identity. Yeah. And we have, yeah. we have another life. And it's like, <laughs> if, if you didn't want to know who I was, you didn't know. The only way you know who I am is if you're like, oh, I wonder who Dave from Dopey is. Right. And then you, then you can find out really easily. Yeah. But, but if you don't, it's just like, whatever. And I don't know, like, I, I mean, like, but then the other, the real truth is that, um, like, I want to be famous and I want Dopey to be huge. Uh And I want, you know, I haven't really figured it out in my head how to, how to combine the two things. But what I kind of decided was I would like, I'm always scared that Dopey's going to die, you know, that people are going to stop listening and it's going to shrink and die. And I always kind of, th- you know, the, the book, The Giving Tree? Yeah. And The and Giving and Tree kind of, yeah, well, The Giving Tree gives everything up to, to keep the boy happy. Right. And I always thought, like, I could give the way the anonymity to, to keep Dopey alive is, like, the romantic thing in my head. And everyone tell you, nobody cares who you are. <laughs> nobody knows what Dopey is. If you say Dave so-and-so does Dopey, it doesn't mean anything to anybody except you. Right. And it's true. Right. You know, but that's that's the romance in my mind that like when the New York Times want to write my last name, I'll let them. Right. Like so New York you know, Times, if you're listening. Right. Yeah. But it's total grandiosity. You know, I, I, it's total fucking total grandiosity and and bullshit. You know, it's like you, you get a, you know, like dope is a. Giant. Wait, say that again. You just broke it's up. like a, it, it's a gigantic nothing podcast. It's mm. like, it's like the smallest, like, you know, it's like, it's big to like a bunch of drug addicts, but it's not, it's not even big enough to get ads. Well, and every other podcast gets ads. I well, I kind of want to, I want to like circle back to this, this thing that you said previously about being like a force for good, because you guys are like having like Zoom meetings now and you're definitely like helping a lot of people just by like listening to the podcast. How do you think about that? Because that's, I mean, to me, that's super fucking awesome. I mean, well, you've obviously never been to a dopey Zoom. <laughs> <laughs> I had, I ha- It sounds really interesting because it sounds like you guys just like call people out, and it sounds like fucking like they do. They do. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. Um, I, I would definitely be intrigued because I'm all about like alternative modes of recovery. Oh, that like, was, I don't know that if you was, guys like feel like that. Are you alternative recovery? Like, oh, dude. I mean, you didn't. I mean, that's the whole thing. Well, right. first of all, I've never, I've never been to a dopey Zoom meeting either. Wait, um, I thought you had, but you just go not like you go incognito. No, that was a theory that they had. Oh, okay. okay. But 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 it wasn't true. And then one day, I said I was going to go. I mean, I said this to myself. Right. Like my 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 wife slash partner left. And my daughter was playing video games and the baby was asleep. It was Sunday, like it was two Sundays ago at one. And they, like the the English, like the British contingency of Dopey does a meeting at 1 p.m. And they call it the Dopey Brit Bird meeting. Nice. And I was like, I was like, that's the one I want to go to. Uh-huh. And uh, <laughs> I log into the Zoom meeting and my full name pops up. 
you know yeah and I was like fuck so I so like they always thought that my, that I was going into these meetings as a woman right. named Melissa right Melissa so I, so I so I quickly wrote Melissa um which I thought was funny <laughs> and then somebody was like look it's Dave and I like freaked out and I closed the computer because wow. I was like too scared or it's just like scary you it's know what I mean? it's like, it's heads. yeah 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 but in terms of like alternative recovery I mean, that was another sort of like giving tree dopey moment Mm -hmm. where I thought dopey was going to end. Like I was feeling like this ebbing of dopey, but I knew that we, um, that people were getting something out of it, Mm -hmm. even though that's not, that was never the point. The point was always just to be fun and to be entertaining and to, and to, and to make a good show. That was the point. Yeah. The point was to me, I always wanted to have a talk show. And I had a talk show and it's like, I knew that like, and I, I'm, listen, I love giving back and I love being in a 12 step program, but I don't make dopey to help people. Like I make dopey because I like to, and I make dopey because I have a talk show. It's yeah. total like, yeah. you know, it's total self-serving stuff, but because of those things, because it's actually listenable, people get help, you know? Yeah. Um, and, and if I was trying to make something that helped people, nobody would want to listen. It wouldn't work. Yeah, you're totally it would right. Suck. It would <laughs> suck. But, like, in one of these moments, I was like, holy shit. Like, I, I've heard from a dozen people who have gotten clean because of Dopey. You know, and I was like, that's crazy. What if we start a Dopey Foundation? You oh, know, and I don't have yeah. to worry about, I don't have to worry about how many people listen to the show. And we could just help people. You know, mm-hmm. and maybe mm-hmm. and maybe make money. Mm-hmm. On it. Mm-hmm. Um, and we started. I, I started to think about that, and then I realized I didn't. I, I didn't really have the, you know, anything capable of doing it. And then I got this email from this woman in New Hampshire named Jamie, mm-hmm. and she said that she was she's on Suboxone and she was still doing heroin and pills and stuff. And she said she stopped taking heroin and pills because of dopey mm-hmm. and because and, and that dopey was in the vanguard of the alt recovery. movement. Oh, right. Right. And that's when I was like, that's what we have. We have the alt recovery. We are the alt recovery movement. Right. And the, alt rec- and the alt recovery movement says that whatever you can do to not be fucked up on drugs and alcohol, we say good for you. You know, right. and you're part of you're part of what we're doing, which is like so many people are like are scared to do a Dharma recovery or AA or NA yeah. or, or or anything. And dopey is like, it's just stupid enough and funny enough and inviting enough that they're like, well, those guys kind of sound like they're having a good time, and they obviously used to get fucked up. Maybe mm-hmm. I could actually have a good time. Yeah, and yeah. that's the. And then I had my dad trademark all recovery movement. And that's nice. the all recovery movement story, you know? <laughs> so, I mean, not that I'm sure that we are not in the vanguard of the all recovery movement, if it is a thing, but I've decided that we own it because I'm grandiose. Right, right. I mean, to me, alt recovery is anything that's not 12 steps. Yeah. So, like when I was trying to get sober, it's like, you know, I went to like outpatient and it's like 12 step, here you go, go to AA meeting, here you go, this is how you do it, even like all the you know, therapist. And it's like, this is what you're doing. You're not going to meetings. Like, what are you doing for your recovery? You know? And so like, I would say like, yeah, you are the vanguard of like, if we want to name that term alt recovery, I love it. But certainly in this 
new media era of podcasting and being able to like access far out shit like dopey you know that just i mean it wasn't something that existed in my mind when i was first starting to get sober and i honestly like it probably would have helped me a lot to like normalize maybe what i was going through without the scariness of having to like go to a meeting and like do that whole thing you know yeah i mean but i mean for me like if, if I tried to get, if, like, if you rewind the tape and I tried to get sober in something called the alt recovery movement, I would have been doing drugs. In the alt recovery <laughs> movement. Maybe it was like, yeah, I mean, uh, I probably had the same story. And I'm like, I definitely like think, you know, all this shit happened in my life for a reason. And it led me to like wherever I'm at right now. So the way I like do my recovery now with like the Dharma super, super works for me. And so that's like my primary thing, but like anything that's out there that's like normalizing the choice not to like do drugs and alcohol is awesome. Cause I don't think that was, those weren't voices that I heard a lot of mm. growing up, certainly growing up totally. doing drugs and alcohol was the coolest thing ever, you know? So like when I hear people like you and if I was like a young kid, I'd be like, holy shit, it's actually cool to like not do drugs and alcohol. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, that's a, that's a nice idea. Um, and, like, I, I love the idea that, I mean, my favorite thing about the alt-recovery movement, even as a high-pollutant kind of abstract thing, is that it holds all of us into the same thing. Yeah. Like, if you're doing 12-step and I'm doing Dharma and somebody else is, is like, jumping rope. And right. they're like, I jump rope every day and right. it's keeping me sober. It's like, good for you. Or yeah. somebody else who's, who's smoking weed but it saved their life or whatever. It's just inclusive. Mm -hmm. it's, an sure. inclu it's an inclusive universe. And it's, and it's like, the idea is it for it to be loving and like, and just like be cool and, you know, be nice. You know, right. um, I, I just think our audience, we never could have foreseen what the audience became. And I'm just starting to in my head, like it reminds me of like the Grateful Dead's audience. Like mm -hmm. they do whatever they want under the banner of being deadheads mm -hmm. or being dopey nation. They're freaks and weirdos and they're super happy about it. And they all, they march to their own drum. And like, like I'm, I, I was really kind of scared of them when we started, mm -hmm. like when, when, when kind of after Chris died, the, I was always scared of the dopey nation. Like I, it reminded me of like having a terrarium with animals and you kind of forget about them and that one day they're gonna like come out and kill you out of the terrarium you know and um they're gonna build like, like some machine and yeah you know like like you don't have control over them and like but they've been your friend but they <laughs> until they're not come out and eat you or whatever you know so like um but i mean the audience it's like, and then the other cheesy thing that all entertainers or whatever say is they're nothing without their audience, yeah. but it's totally true. It's like, like, you know, dopey is what it is because the audience. Yeah. Well, and coming back to like what we were talking about at the beginning about like addiction and connection, like that's connection, you know, you've created connection between people who would never have that connection before. It's amazing. It's, it's yeah. amazing. Yeah. And then also going back to anonymity, like AJ, right? Yeah. AJ, AJ has his newsletter from the small bow. Wanted, yeah. Yeah. The small bow. Amazing newsletter. Yeah. We all love it. And, and, um, he, we're going to do something like he's going to mm -hmm. interview me for his newsletter, yeah. which I've been trying to get him to do for a long time. Somehow 
somehow he's going to do it now, <laughs> but he wanted to use my last name. Oh. And, um, and I didn't want him to, I don't know. It's like, obviously he didn't pressure me to do it. It's just like, it's like, is, I don't know, like what, it, what is the purpose of anonymity? Like, I think on paper, it's to protect the program from the individual right. to not represent themselves properly. It's to, it's to protect, like, I don't have any shame around what I've done. Mm -hmm. I don't particularly love like my kids. Like I, I don't, eventually I'll tell my kids everything I did. I don't care, mm. but they're little, mm. you know, I don't particularly want their friends, parents to know while they're all little, once they're not little, I don't care at all. Yeah. But there's like, you know, I mean, I don't know. What do you guys think about anonymity? I mean, I think we, I, I, it's, it's, there's a family member of mine who's in the program and, um, he, he listens to this podcast and he knows who I'm talking about. And we debate this stuff a lot. And I know, you know, he had a, we were just talking about the business I was potentially creating and this whole concept of kind of like holding yourself up as like a beacon of recovery. Not that that's what I do, but just that I'm out about it and that I'm proud about it, you know, and all of that. And he was telling me about the traditions and why anonymity exists and that, that like if I fuck up and I relapse and everybody can see it, then that will like diminish the name of recovery. And my perspective, right. And my perspective is people need to know that relapse is part of recovery and yes, it's terrible. And of course people die. Like it's very serious, but if you, if you make it seem like you're falling off a fucking cliff, every time you have a slip, you're, it's, it, it like makes you go off the cliff more, you know, like deeper, I think, like, right. I think it like no. needs to be part of the conversation more. Right. I, it, what it, I mean, I hear what you're saying. What it does is if you don't say that you can come back, then other people might not know that they can come back. Right. You know, like if they slip. But the, but the, I always have, I have a real problem with that phrase that uh, relapse is a part of recovery because mm -hmm. only because it killed, it killed my two of my best friends. Right. And it's like, they're not going to get to recover after they relapse. It's right. done. Right. You know, or like I was on somebody's podcast once and she was like, she was like, people need to know that we can recover. And it's like, yeah, you can, but you can just as easily die. Right. You know, maybe easier, you know, it's yeah. like, it's crazy. You know, I, I mean, I, I will, I think eventually I will out myself, but for selfish reasons, you know, to try to get dopey <laughs> to the next level. Good, really? Good. Yeah. Like I, I feel like it's hard to get an anonymous podcast any bigger than I'm. Yeah. You know, I think, but, I think you're right though. It's, it's the mystique, like the mystique. Helps. I don't know. I mean, like I, because then also once you do it, once you, you decide not to be anonymous, you can never be anonymous. Right. It's yeah. You can't. What is it? Put the whatever back in the whatever. Um, we have a. If it was, yeah. If it was you, would you would you give up the anonymity? I personally would wait until it like if I was gonna do it, it would be some big like, it would be for something that was worth it to me. Some kind of, yeah, reward. Like the New York Times. Right. Some cover of the style section on Sunday kind of thing, you know, or business section of some project that you were unveiling that 
you know, was going to take this thing forward. Right. Yeah, and, that sounds good. <laughs> <laughs> Nick and I, so just to give you some background, and, uh, we had a comment recently in our um, our section on, you know, Apple Podcasts. It, it was a woman saying that Nick spoke too much. So I think Nick's, like, we are still getting used to that kind of feedback, you know? It's terrible. Yeah. No, 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 no. I wasn't like, uh, I'm not doing that on purpose. I no. think that you're just asking really good questions. Oh, basically. thank you. So, thank like, you. Not like purposely. I'm, yeah, I love to like butt in and like say whatever I want to <laughs> say, but I do recognize that people might not like that. <laughs> so I don't know. Yeah. How do you, like, you guys must have haters, right? Definitely. Uh, how do you deal with that? Because it like crushed me when I got, and that's like the first person who said one thing to me, and I was like, I'm never gonna talk again. <laughs> Nick, I totally, totally understand. First of all, like I feel like I've talked too much on your podcast. What? I just had, I just had that thought in my head, like I'm going on and on, and their audience is gonna write like, what a dick Dave <laughs> from Dopey is, and he won't shut up, and you know, like I mean, because like I'll tell you, like when we started. Because I wanted to emulate Howard Stern, uh, I, I I just wanted to keep the show moving. Yeah, you know, and uh, and Chris didn't have any sense of um, talk show stuff, but he was so funny. Mm-hmm. He was super funny, mm-hmm. and he had just the best stories. Mm-hmm. But I would shit on him constantly, and uh, and interrupt him right. even more because what I would do is I would interrupt him because I would want to hear like something stupid like i want to understand him i want i would want yeah the minutiae and like to hear the backstory on this or that Mm -hmm. and the more i would get out of him the more of a picture we the audience would get of me and him and Mm -hmm. of him now the audience you know i'd say the majority of the audience understood it and thought it was funny but there was a ton of people that hated it and they would write they would write reviews like this guy is such a dick why doesn't he let chris tell his story like i like chris but dave's such an asshole and then like i mean that was tough but it also like it fueled our material on the show right because it was real i, I would feel exactly what you're talking about next like yeah. I, I would hate myself and i would think i suck but then i think when we would do the show i would channel it like at the audience mm. <laughs> and and like i became kind of like uh like a wrestler kind of thing and and like like howard would do that you know and i and i wanted it to be like that but when it really got bad was we would record the show first of all we had no recording equipment mm-hmm. we would record it right onto the computer and we would record the show after I was done waiting tables for like a 12 hour shift oh God. or something. Yeah. And I'd come home and I'd record the show and I would be hungry. And I didn't <laughs> realize that I was eating while we were recording <laughs> the show. And the amount of, of and, and like to this day, like people will start listening to the show, listening to episode one now. Yeah. Of you know? course. Yeah. So I still get yeah. reviews like they don't know that Chris died. And they're writing me reviews. How can you interrupt Chris? And then I get all these reviews of how disgusting I am (laughs) to eat while I talk. (laughs) And like, I remember I would be at work and and a review would pop up like that. And I would just be crushed or even worse, an email, like a hate mail Um. email at me. So like, I think what the only way to live with it is to just, you know, you're doing what you're doing, you know? And it's like, 
if you have a vision for what you're doing, you have to stick with it because fuck them. You know what I mean? Like when it all comes down to it, it's your podcast. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And I think it's like interesting. I mean, you talked about this earlier in the episode too, about like this chattering mind and this inner dialogue that constantly goes on in your mind yes. and like drugs and alcohol were perfect for like shutting that shit down. And now that that's, not there i have to like rely on other tools to actually like manage those emotions when they're coming up and it's fucking hard it's like way harder to do but i think you're totally right like instead of like giving up on it like that's why it's nice having lacy as a partner because like i never could have done this on my own you know she's the one that like keeps us going keeps us moving you know of this like bigger idea of like what we're actually trying to do and that's like growth and that's why i was like we were saying before this is like really part of my recovery now um, yeah i think that's that's amazing it, it's like i think with chris chris thought dopey was part of his recovery which is mm. something that you should just think about you know mm. he would say that all the time and mm. then at some point he just relapsed and we didn't know about it or i didn't know yeah. about it. you know so just keep that in your head yeah um, for sure as a sort of thing and then the other thing is like i love like when I tell you it's your podcast, like, like I would feel all of these feelings. Of, and for, I thought of three things when we were talking. The first thing was when you were saying about how when you were using, you wouldn't have these thoughts, these doubting thoughts. But also when you were using, you couldn't put together a podcast yeah. every week. You yeah. know, it's like, so it's like, that's a plus. Then the second thing was, it's not their podcast. It's your podcast. And that was my favorite. That was my favorite justice to the whole thing, which was like, fuck you. Go make your own fucking podcast. If you think <laughs> you can do it better right. and do it every fucking week, you know? And that made me feel really good. You know, yeah. that yeah, sort yeah. of acting out. And then the last thing is what I just said, like, keep this as part of your recovery, but just know that like the only thing that will protect you is you and God. You know mm. what I mean? Like the podcast is like, I mean, like, I'm addicted to Dopey, but and it, and it definitely is helpful, but, like, it's not going to fucking keep me sober. Can I? Yeah, very true. Yeah. Can I ask, what is your, uh, what does your recovery look like these days? Is it still involved going to meetings and? Yeah, yeah. I went to a meeting this morning. Nice. And um, you're local? Oh, well, obviously, you're going remote. Yeah. No, no, no. I, we, I have an outdoor meeting on go Oh, nice. Um, That's oh. nice. Yeah. Yeah, it's great. It was in this national preserve. It was beautiful. Oh, wow. Um, and I mean, like, I, my recovery, like, it's not perfect by any stretch. I talk to my sponsor a couple days a week. Mm-hmm. I should talk to them more. Uh, I go to them. I, I mean, before Corona, I would go to, you know, between one and three meetings a week. Yeah. Since Corona, like, I think since the coronavirus hit, I've been to two. So that we're talking about, what has it been? 14 eight. weeks, 18 weeks, eight weeks, weeks? Oh, two, months. Shit, eight weeks. <laughs> two months. Uh, it does feel like that. Uh, I was just telling my wife how much, how much money I have waiting for me at work. But I guess <laughs> I was totally wrong. Um, so like in eight weeks, I've been to two actual meetings and I've been to three zoom mm-hmm. meetings, Okay. which, uh, you know, I talked to my sponsor when I fought with my wife, I've talked to my sponsor. Yeah. Um, I'm starting to consider trolling the dopey audience for sponsees because I was going to say, never, yeah. Do you sponsor yourself? I, 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 the only people I've sponsored have gone out, but it looks like I might start working with a couple people because like, I, I just never really 
did that part of it. Yeah. And uh, I think it's important. Yeah. You know, my, yeah. my sponsor keeps saying how, like, that's what he wants for me. And then the other thing is that with Dopey, I'm actually in touch with, you know, a lot of addicts. Right. Like, I, yeah. like a lot of addicts reach out to me and, like, I'm very, very accessible. And uh, it's good. You know, I like that. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, like, I'm, I have you know, four years and seven, eight months clean. And I know that it's, it's critical just to do anything I can do towards that, you know? Yeah. So, so I like that. It's, it's interesting when you said like about this podcast, like not using it as your method of recovery. AJ says the same thing about the small bow about like, it can't be his recovery. It's not like he like draws a line and I'm like, how can it not be? You're talking about all this stuff and connecting with all these people and, you know, but um, he makes that distinction as well. So I guess we should listen to it. We've heard it twice now. I mean, it's just, you might as well. Yeah. yeah. It's just like, keep it as like, think of it as like a, like a six legged stool. Mm -hmm. And if one of the legs go out, you're still sitting up, you know? I mean, that's how I think about it. And Dopey was never supposed to be, I mean, Dopey wasn't meant to be that. Dopey was meant to be the dumbest shit we had ever done. Yeah. And, and laughing and, and, and saying that you can have fun in recovery. It wasn't like we can get you better that, you know, it was never that, that stuff, you know? Yeah. I know. And I think AJ, AJ is the same. I mean, it's not the same, you know, his is obviously not as stupid as Dopey. Um, but it's like, it's about having a life in recovery. Right. But it's not the recovery itself, you know? It's like what it looks like. Yeah. So, I mean, I don't know. I, I think that it's dangerous to think that, I think it's also the humility of, of mm. recovery is like making sure that it's a lot of things that do it for you and you don't create the thing that does it for you. Right. That's interesting. Yeah. Like you have to go outside of yourself to find it. It's not. Yeah. And it has to be much bigger than you and whatever you can make. And you can be an impression of it, but mm-hmm. you can't be it. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Possibly. You know, I don't know. I like to like back out of all of this shit because <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I don't want to pretend like I have any answers. I have answers for like how to keep the show funny. Like who I think is a good guest. Yeah. What, what works, what doesn't work. But You're a producer. Yeah. Can we talk to you about the, the whole, you know, like the concept of uh, war stories period. I think like for me, I'm just going to out myself. I had a very high bottom, which I still think sounds very sexual, but it's very sexual. (laughs) (laughs) And, um, you're bottom, you're bottoming from the top. (laughs) I only bottom from the top. (laughs) Exactly. Um, I don't even know what that means, but I like the sound of it. Yeah, it's a good, yeah. So, so for me, that means that I never really got into drugs. I like would do what people gave me in high school, and I have no idea if it was actually what it, they said it was. But I was told, you know, that I was going to become an addict pretty much, or you know, an alcoholic. And so I was pretty scared to try other things because, and I, and because I knew immediately with alcohol that this was my baby, you know, right. and that what I was told about was true, and you know that was going to be my future. So um, there's this, 
and I'm sure you've thought about this and heard about it and whatever, but there's like a competition that happens almost with yeah. uh, stories. And I, you know, like I feel very, like I, like I get embarrassed that I don't have that shit. You know, I don't like my, my bottom look like just being really fucking sad and not being able to out of bed and just drinking a whole lot and like not taking my dog out for walks and like having tons of anxiety, you know? So it's like that kind of, I don't, I don't know. I, you know, just that having like all those different kinds of people in recovery. I I mean, I, I, I think in the long run, you're well served to not compete with people on something as dumb as that, as that stuff. Um, But I mean, for myself, I collected every story I could collect and then I competed with everybody I could compete. <laughs> you know, when we started Dopey, we wanted to call it war stories. Right. We right. didn't want to call it Dopey. We wanted to call it war stories and have graphics of like men with needles instead of bayonets throwing pills instead of grenades. Wow. And you like, really thought it out. Yeah. Oh, dude, we were right there. I mean, when we recorded the first episode, Chris was at my house and I was like, fuck recovery podcasting it's going to be just war stories uh-huh. and it's going to be so war stories that we're going to call it fucking war stories <laughs> the podcast about war stories and that's it you know i think you're, um, you should make a dopey t-shirt that says fuck recovery podcast on it that's a good idea maybe we should make a dopey podcast t-shirt that says war stories the podcast about war stories yeah i don't know yeah. i like both of them and maybe it could say fuck recovery podcast on the back right um I don't know. I like it all. But but Chris and I are sitting there and he Chris was like he was one of the smartest people I ever knew and uh, just a sweet guy. And he was 10 years younger than me. Mm-hmm. And he was like, OK, that sounds good. You know? Yeah. And uh, but then he went on his phone and he Googled war stories. And there was a podcast called War Stories right. that was about actual war, war. stories. Like the <laughs> you know? So we were like, fuck. So, I mean, I, I think, you know, War Stories for me was it was always entertaining. Yeah. You know? And, uh, and, and everybody has a story that's better than mine or even Chris's, you know? You, you like to think that whatever you've done is the worst thing, but there's always somebody... It's always a bigger fish. And uh, I mean, like, I just think it's a great, it's a great comedic vehicle, you know, if it's done properly. And then, I mean, I also really love that my favorite stuff on the show was like the dumb shit portion of Dopey. Yeah. Like where Chris would talk about his like trying to pick up girls or like stupid things you do in a meeting or like Mm -hmm. just whatever, like, like. I, I think it was the episode before he dies, like we had broken our coffee machine and I tried to get it fixed and the woman was judging me. It was like just some dumb story yeah. that was perfect in my mind, you know? Yeah. But but I mean I, I just think war stories are fun because what they are is they're they're like caricatures right. of an addict's life. Right. And they and they do show how willing you are to be out of control and the crazy lengths you will go to to stay fucked up. So, okay. I mean, for, for that, and it's also just bombastic. bombastic you yeah, know? yeah. Like, bombastic is almost the word. It's, bombastic. you're there, you're there. Like, you hear, like, Chris told a story, like, it was just so ridiculous. Like, 
that he would go driving and he would load up six syringes full of coke and then shoot them at the red lights you know (laughs) and that that, i mean like it's like insanity (laughs) like but like it's just crazy to imagine chris in his car shooting coke and he preloading everything yeah 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 it's just like but it's funny but at the same time like is it good for anybody i i think in our situation it was very entertaining and it drew people in and it drew it drew the fucking freaks in who thought they were the only person who would shoot coke at red lights and preloaded their rigs because we would get emails from people who said they did the same thing (laughs) yeah i think like when I when I go to AA meetings, I will sometimes get annoyed at the war stories, and I think it's because there's this like fetishization of, you know, the substance itself, you know, and like all of the little things that we did, or and the rituals, and the like. We're in this club, and we all know all the little words and all the little rituals right. and all the, all the stuff, you know. So we're in this club together, and I guess. I was like one responding probably out of like jealousy that I'm not completely part of that club because my bottom is high and two because just like wanting to kind of like not exalt the substance so much but I think but like my you know but I also am learning to understand like my friend Jen who I mentioned earlier like she talked you know like the war stories for her showed her how to give herself compassion. You know, she would find herself listening to them and empathizing and feeling compassion and love for these people for all the pain that they're suffering, listening on your show specifically, and then realizing she didn't have that compassion for herself and learning how to, how to do that, to like starting noticing that, that she wasn't feeling, you know, that she was beating herself up for stuff that she was feeling compassion for for somebody else. Well, I think, I mean, that's deep. And I, I I haven't seen Jen around anything in a bit. So please send her my best. I will. I um, will. But uh, I think to hear war stories on something like Dopey as opposed to in a 12-step meeting. Right. You know, it's, it's, it's like Dopey is a place to hear war stories. Right. Because it's about war stories. <laughs> a, a 12-step meeting isn't necessarily a place to hear war stories. But I think really what it comes down to is how well a story is told uh-huh. and uh, and what's the end result of the story. Like, are you in a an AA meeting telling some that syringe story right. without any purpose? Right. And it doesn't it doesn't belong there. Right. And it and it doesn't do any good. But if you it's like it's all about how good your story is yeah. and how good your point is. Yeah. And it's all woven together. You know, and and because uh, like war stories aren't intrinsically bad. But it's like if you're like trying to find a spiritual solution to your problem and the dude is like telling some inane story about rigs in his car, it's like that's not the answer. You know what I mean? Well, I think you said it on some interview, this concept of like very cleverly said roping rope a dope where you you give them the comedy and then you hand them a Bible out the door, basically like you're giving them the recovery at the end or, you know, that, that, that's also coming with the spoonful, you know, it's, that was a Chris thing. And, and but the idea was we, we hit him with the dopey, the rope of dope. And it was brilliant. <laughs> it was, they come for the debauchery right. and they stay for the recovery. Yeah. Yeah. You yeah. Know? Yeah. That was a brilliant criticism. Yeah. The rope of dope, you know? And, uh, I don't know if like, I don't know if dopey is still like that because, you know, it was, Chris had this magic 
to what he was good at mm-hmm. on the show. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I know that like it drew in, it also drew in, I think a lot more, I don't know. The show was much different before him and Todd died yeah, because yeah. because there weren't the kind of the consequences were not at our fingertips in mm-hmm. the same way as they were afterwards. Mm-hmm. Nick, is there anything that, you want to or Dave? No, Nick, come on. What do you got? <laughs> what do I got? Yeah. I just thinking about the first time that I heard your show when James, James, uh, our friend and already introduced me to your show and we were like on our way to Costa Rica and I was like, holy fuck, like, what the hell is this? Because it was like, you guys, I started from the beginning uh, when you guys were talking, like, directly into the computer. Yeah. And I had, like, a very, like, visceral reaction to it. And I still kind of get that sometimes when I hear about, like, drug stories. Because I always have this feeling that, like, I could, like Lacey was saying, I, it it could have got worse. Like things could have got worse. And then like, I hear people's stories and at first, like, it's kind of nice. Cause then it's like, Oh, you know what? Like the shit I didn't, that I did wasn't that bad, you know? And like, there's some sort of like removal of shame there. And then it's kind of like the shit I didn't do. Wasn't that bad, you know? Wasn't like, bad enough. Yeah. It wasn't bad enough. You know, right. like there's some room to do to do that. And so uh, I think that's like why I was like, dude, I can't listen to this because it's like, I don't know, very like visceral for me. I think like, yeah, for sure. So like for a long time, like I couldn't get into it, you know, in a way that like, you know, James, he was like my mentor in the program. He's a lot farther along than I was. So like, I think there's a certain, like, I I mean, just me personally, I have to like mature in the way that I think about these things. Cause Lacey knows, like, I'm so like fucking flip flop, like all over the place with this stuff that, you know, it, it was, it's difficult sometimes to hear that and to just even think about recovery and think about yourself as an addict and like label yourself as like, you're the person who has this and this is like the people that you are and all that sort of stuff. Like, I don't know, for whatever reason, these labeling sort of things like really mess with me. I don't know where I'm going with all that, but um, when we, when Lacey told me that, you know, you were going to come on the show, I started listening to the shows again and it was like a way different way of listening to it than when I first remember listening to it. So it was just really interesting coming back to what you were saying, like it starts off as one thing and then it like kind of evolves. And I feel like, at least for me personally, like I can see some evolution in the way that I like consume the content. And so I think it's really cool the way that you guys have evolved the show too, because the story of the show is is like the mythos and like the myth of the show is so powerful for people that like that's super attractive to me so i feel like whatever you whatever you're doing man is so fucking awesome that right. um it's like it's such a pleasure to just talk to you and hear about all this stuff i mean that's what i gotta say oh, i appreciate that i do and i think when we started the show i think i i had like four months clean yeah. um and chris had two years and uh and i didn't i i, I knew i needed to get sober but I didn't want to. Mm. Um, and that was a lot of like, you could hear, and I wanted to have, it was way more important to have a, a show than to get sober, mm. you know? So like, that's kind of like a lot of the resistance in the beginning. And like, and I got, and I got sober because like, you know, I don't think anybody has to get sober, mm. but I had to get sober if I wanted to be in my daughter's life. Yeah. And, uh, and I finally hit a, I had hit a wall with it. 
And I finally was like, I just need to do this, you know? And I, I also, I mean, like, it's something that I think I've said a lot, but I think it's worth, I mean, for me, it's like the thing, which was I spent half my life wasted, like super wasted. And all I had to show for it was I was a waiter, you know, and I had, and I, you know, I had an apartment that I rented and I had a waiter shift mm -hmm. and, and that was 20, you know, I was 41 when I got sober and that's all I had. And I was like, I also knew I was never going to get higher. You know, I, I, I shot $300 of heroin a day for mm -hmm. years or for months at a time. And like, just, there was nothing good coming to me. And I thought like being like, what, like, what would my life look like if I put 20 years together sober? Like, yeah. what would I have to show for it? And like, could I enjoy it? Yeah. You know, and I, and I couldn't at first, you know, I did not enjoy it at first, but like dopey is like, it was, it was a reflection of, of what happened to me, you know? Mm -hmm. And I don't think, you know, Nick and Lacey with your high bottoms and stuff, <laughs> It's like, well, Nick, well, like, let me say, Nick, Nick is not going into the shit that he got into. He's definitely further along with experimentation than I am. I, well, yeah, I want to give him I more mean, credit. <laughs> I also just think it's funny that you could describe not being able to get into Dopey because you were too immature, where Dopey was like the least mature thing <laughs> ever. We would no, I mean, I like. No, 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 like, well, the funny, and not funny, like, this is awful, but, like, that trip that I went on with James, I end up, like, relapsing on that trip, you know? So, right. in, I mean, like, mature in my, like, sobriety and being able to, like, not fucking do drugs and alcohol. Um, right. So that's I, I really, what I meant by I, I just think it's so funny, though, like, anybody, like, all sobriety is, it's like, at first, it's just a streak of not using, right? Yeah, It's just, yeah. It's just like, trying to get to the next day and then you kind of add stuff like to make it worth living yeah for sure that's such a good way of putting it yeah well i was at a meeting today and and one of the dudes who i had sponsored uh and i sponsored him for like a week or mm. two weeks and he didn't do anything i said and the dude the dude is a serious fucking drug addict you know yeah and uh and he shared that he was riding the long island railroad to penn station overnight because he didn't have anywhere to sleep mm. and then and then when he got to the city because of the coronavirus he's just skateboarding around like for something to do and nobody's around and it's like this dude just could not put days together yeah you know forget recovery spirituality highfalutin shit i'm just talking about like yeah. half of it is just getting you know at that moment being like i'm not gonna do it you know what yeah. i mean and getting yeah. that first couple days right mm -hmm. i mean that because it's impossible to like insert crazy spirituality or crazy recovery right. into your time in the beginning, you know, or in yeah. the very beginning. Don't you guys think? Yeah. You just need oh, a clean sure. head. Like you need to get it out of your body physically. Exactly. Yeah. And that can, that can take time. And it's like, I mean, like, it's just so crazy. You know, the whole thing, it's like, why any, that's another thing. It's like why anybody gets it and why anybody doesn't. It right. What is pretty, it? It seems pretty random to me. Yeah. 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 You know, it, it seems like, like, um, I mean, I didn't have to get it. Uh, my friend Todd never got time together. Yeah. He just refused to put time together. But I think if he had, if he had put even fucking six months together, yeah, it, he didn't, it didn't have to go the way it went for him. Yeah. 
but you know. listening to that, I was saying this to Nick before we we had the call. Like listening to that that first Doctor Drew episode with Chris and how much yeah. he's dorking out on recovery like that to me was almost the saddest episode for me because he's just so excited about it and like the work he's doing and the research he's getting into and his thesis and talking about it with somebody else that like you know that he looks up to clearly you know and not that he didn't look up to you but like a doctor you know (laughs) (laughs) and uh you know, it was just like the like he got it. He fucking got it. You know, and Who's um, Dr. Drew? what's that? Well, no, Chris I think Dr. Chris Drew? got it. Yeah. Like Chris, what you're saying, like he right? No, definitely, totally got it. And to your point, recover the podcast is not recovery. Like, you know, it's mapped out through what you've talked about with Chris what happens or what potentially happens and how he lost his way, you know, and that like one thing happens, which leads to another thing, you know, or maybe two bad things happen and the stool goes out from under you, you know? He was so like crazy though. Like the way he, I, I, I try not to listen to too many old episodes, but on the other hand, like if a listener writes me and they say, Oh, I heard so-and-so and and it was really funny. Like I go listen to it because, Because I miss Chris and I miss those times and it's such a surreal thing that happened. But I listened to some old episode and Chris is talking about, you know, his recovery, you know, Mm -hmm. and uh, and how he doesn't go to meetings or call his sponsor. And all he does is spend time with his girlfriend and watches TV. I remember the episode Mm. and I was like and I was like, well, what was what was your life like the last time you relapsed? And he was like, it was basically the same thing, but I didn't have a girlfriend, I think he said. Or right. something, yeah. something just like, it was cryptic, you know? Yeah. It was like, it was just like, that was his past. Right. And, um, you know, I think, you know, I, I've said this a bunch of times, but I think it's worth saying is like, when I was, I did drugs for so long and nobody died when I was getting high. Yeah. You know, and then my best friends die after I got sober. Yeah. You know, like, it's like, that's fucking... It's just like Chris didn't think he could die. Right. Chris knew people died. He just didn't think it was going to happen to him. And I never would have bet that it would happen to either of them. But it was. But in retrospect, everyone's like, you should have seen it. You no. should have known. It was so obvious, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, it's obvious after he dies, after you know he relapsed. Right. And, and yes, I go back and I listen to it. and I'm It's not devastated. helpful to really, yeah. No, <laughs> no, it's certainly not helpful. No. Well. I feel like, so what do you do and to, 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 what do you do these days to kind of, uh, what are you doing? That's not like sitting on your couch and watching TV, you know, what do you do that kind of like lifts you up like for fun? Well, I don't, I don't get nearly enough time sitting on my couch watching TV. (laughs) Like that sounds amazing. (laughs) I would, if I could. I mean, that's like my fantasy. Um, <laughs> I know I'm serious. Like, yeah, I'm with like, two young would, kids. Yeah. I I uh, I get no time to do it. Uh, I have a two year. I have my my younger daughter is going to be two in uh, in almost two weeks. Wow. And my older daughter is ten, and and so we're homeschooling her. And I'm right. working. I'm working from home. Like I run Katz's catering, and I'm cool. there. Uh, 
I, I created a position for myself called mm-hmm. director of strategic partnerships yes. catches where nice. like I like I'm like in charge of us feeding these hospitals and cool. coordinating this stuff so it's like every minute is spoken for and then there's dopey like yeah I work on dopey like as much as I possibly can uh, I started doing these patreon episodes yeah. as a kind of like attempt to get some money out of patreon uh-huh. um, and it's kind of working Good. and I, I and I love doing it I mean I have, I mean, the kids are a lot of work, but like tonight I went for a bike ride with my 10 year old and it's like heaven, you know, to, to, to bike down by the bay and the sun is going down and we bought ice cream on the way back. And it's just like, um, it's pretty, it's pretty remarkable. Yeah. But, but the other side of it is it's like the thing about life is like the things that you enjoy notice that you enjoy them because your life is never going to be like a pig and shit, you know, except when you're like on heroin, eating ice cream, watching TV, (laughs) you know what I mean? Like that's the only time where it's extended good time. You know, life is about struggling and and getting, it's like, it's like, like what you were talking about with Buddhism. Like I would love to get a Buddhist practice together, you know, like, like that's something that like, I'm almost too stupid to do it. Like I'm almost like, like I'm almost no. like un like not capable of opening a book, but that's something that sounds good to me. Like I'm I'm like I want to get back to working steps because I like it, yeah. and I'd like to walk some people through some steps because I think it would be good for me. Yeah, I would love to like learn about the what is it the the recovery dharma. Like I think that would be amazing. <laughs> I love the idea of Buddhism. Um, it's only meditation that's really the uh, cornerstone of everything which my meditation practice is is weak but it's better than it used to be i mean i get my enjoyment out of eating cooking biking walking yeah podcasting watching tv you know that's what i do playing music listening to music i really like showering (laughs) 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 hot Hot yeah, showering's pretty with, good. <laughs> with music on, I like that. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I like all that stuff. Quality me time. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing with children. Children, like, they take everything. They're, like, fucking locusts. <laughs> but, but on the other hand, it, like, it prevents me from being super self-centered all the time. No, I was just saying this yesterday, you know, because a friend, my friend, my, one of my best friends has a couple kids, and... And she, like, you know, it makes you a better, it's like, I see all the chaos and all the, like, she's like, your house is so nice. And I'm like, yeah, but the, I have no one to take care of. Like, you know, that's why. And she's dealing with all this stuff. She's being a mom. And it just makes her, it forces you out of your own shit. Like, you have to actually be uncomfortable for another human's benefit. And I think that just probably helps your recovery. It just makes you a nicer person. You have empathy, you know? Well, it, it keeps me out of my head yeah. more than, you know, it's, it's a good, it's good for that. And also like, I'm like my relationship with my partner. Is right. Good. And like, I enjoy her. Yeah. And like, we've built this thing and it's like, it's fun. Yeah. And, um, and it's fun to have this family. Like, and I'm, pr- I'm, and I mean, like, I'm super proud of that. Yeah. And I'm super proud of Dopey. Like, I'm proud of both things. And it's only because, like, I got sober that mm-hmm. any of that shit is happening. Mm-hmm. In, as much as I hate culty shit, <laughs> like, I hate culty shit, except for the cult of Dopey. I was going to say, love- you have, like, the biggest <laughs> cult around. I don't know what you're talking about. Besides my cult, 
I hate culty shit. The amount um, of inside I, jokes for your, uh, your, the amount of inside jokes for your cult alone could fill a book. I know that's great. You yeah, know, I'm, I'm proud of I'm proud of my little cult. Yeah, it's awesome. you should the be. The only thing that the only thing that sucks about my cult is it's just not not profitable enough, and I don't right. have like 20 wives. <laughs> like I'm missing both of those elements. Yeah. <laughs> and I work in a deli still. You know. I'm well, it's the best deli in the world, so, you Lacey, know. Do you, do you think if I pivot and sell my anonymity, I can stop working in the deli? Do you think that's possible? Do you want to stop working in the deli? I feel like the deli gives you a lot of good stories. It does. It used to. But when I right. stopped waiting tables, right. the stories weren't as good. You know, I really liked it when you said it on one of the shows, when you were like, I had this character that I play of like, an at, like a mean waiter, like a mean server. You know, like, oh, an, yeah. I love that because I totally, <laughs> when you go to these New York establishments, I always feel like I'm getting some kind of act like, hey, what do you want? You know, like the, uh, you know, like you better like not waste my time shit. Was that your, was that your thing? Uh, it was, it was like the best. Like, <laughs> can you I, give I us some always, of it? Like, can you like replay you it all? You can't do it. You, you can't, you can't do it. You just, you just say, what do you want? And then you just like, Basically, I mean, like, I was, like, doing this thing, this act. But I grew up in, in Manhattan. And, right. like, I remember the first time I went to Cass's, I was with two of my best friends. And uh, we had, like, taken a job there when we were in high school, when we were, like, 16, to, like, hand out menus. And they were going to pay us in sandwiches <laughs> and pay us, like, based on how many orders they, they would get. So we would get our sandwich when we'd get there and then we'd go home and we'd smoke weed and play video games. And <laughs> like we wouldn't really like make them any money. But when we would get the sandwiches, like my friend, it, three of us were Jewish and two of us were like classic Jew. And the other one was like not classic Jew. So me and my friend. Wait, what, what get, makes a non-classic Jew? Like his parents were like, like nuts. Like his father was a mathematician who taught at Columbia. His mother was this crazy woman who went to Princeton with a PhD in uh -huh. parapsychology and special. ran the, uh, she ran the Ghostbusters thing, the, the center for parapsychological oh research. My God. She still runs it. She's like a classic hoarder with five cats and a parrot <laughs> and was a stoner. And like, he wasn't really raised Jewish, you know, okay. he wasn't raised okay. like, like me and my friend, like came from middle-class Jewish families yeah. you know, where like, it's all just like, Brighton Beach memoirs shit right, or whatever. Right. Um, and he wasn't. So me and my friend are like, let me get a pastrami on rye with mustard. And my friend Jim was like, I'll have turkey on white with mayo, please. <laughs> and the dude behind the counter was like, get the fuck out of here. <laughs> and like, we just loved it. It was just like amazing. And then when I started waiting tables, I started waiting tables there. Having been a heroin addict for, you know, 12 years. Uh, having nothing like yeah. living I was living I was, and the, the irony is I was living in my friend's the, the friend the crazy mother I was living Jim. in her apartment yeah. yeah I was living in Jim's mother's apartment when I started waiting tables and um so I would walk up to the to the table I was also the worst waiter ever <laughs> I would just walk up to the table like the character was born basically me saying I hate doing this right and I don't and I don't want to bring you anything. Right. And I and I hate you. And it's your <laughs> and it's your fault I'm doing this. So it all comes from that 
that idea uh-huh. but that turn but then that gets refined to like you make fun of them for ordering the wrong thing you refuse to get them mayonnaise you you, t- you don't let I, don't, I mean i used to not let people order half the shit on the menu <laughs> um and then and then i would like kind of try to figure out who they were in the world and tell them you know and it was just it was like comedy it was That's a lot clever. of clever i remember there was somebody i knew that had their picture on the wall in, in the back. It, well, no, it was in the front. And then if they got, if they were out of their job, like, because they were a public servant, if they were out of their job, they would be, the picture would go back by the bathroom, by the, uh, right. right. And then once they were back in the public, uh, you know, whatever, they would be back in the front again and he would like watch it, you know, as, uh, yeah, see how popular he was is that Katz was like very important. Was it, was it Mayor Giuliani? No, I, I fucking hate Giuliani. Oh. <laughs> was it Al Sharpton? No. But when this I is a fun game though. It, that's my favorite thing is like when I have an interview that isn't going well and they start mentioning like something without mentioning it, I just start asking is it this person? Is it that? That's Are like you saying this isn't thing. going well? Is that no? Your... I think this is saying, no, I'm the interviewee. I'm just doing my shtick. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> but that's my that's one of my go-to things. Um, but uh, when I was doing it, I thought like this is like I wanted to make a show about Cassie, you know, and uh, and we tried to make a show about Cassie, and I wanted to call it Behind the Counter, which mm-hmm. was about like the Dominicans of Cassie. Mm. Because being a part of the Dominican world at Katz's is like one of the greatest things that ever happened to me. Yeah. It also just really teaches humility. Yeah. You know, I was like, my cousin owned Katz's and, um, uh, and I was a manager of Katz's mm-hmm. and I would nod out like fucking counting the money. Right. And, uh, and then I lost my job and I, and I was exiled to become a waiter. And, uh, and I made a web series about it. Okay. And I called it, I called it The Last Jewish Waiter. Um, nice. You should see it. It's funny. I, I definitely will. Yeah, definitely will. All right, Nick. But do you have any? You yeah, good? Nick. You still there? I think that was great. I mean, ending on that is fantastic. <laughs> All right. Well, I hope I didn't talk too much. No, you're perfect. You're a pro. Alrighty, that's it. Another week in the can. Thank you, Dave, for coming on. We are very grateful. You can find Dopey wherever you listen to your podcast so you can find Dave and social media at at dopey podcast you can find us your friends at sober company on social media too we are at sober co podcast our website is sober dot company that's right just put that right into your browser and you can sign up for our brand new newsletter that Nick has been putting out he's been doing a great job Please subscribe and rate and share with your friends and family. What else? Our music is by the talented John Tessier, courtesy of Said So Sounds. That's it for this week. Please stay safe, stay indoors. Uh, you know, we love you. Good night. And he's like, you fucking asshole. Like, you're fucking talking to Dave from Dopey. And then he was like...